0: Title track from the great U2 album "Unforgettable Fire" six forty seven on your rainy Monday morning, here on September eleventh, two thousand twenty three. Twenty two years after the most tragic day in the history of this country, my first guest today spent twenty one years as the union leader, uh, the benevolent association for the Department of Corrections. He's been in this uh, studio with me a bunch of times the last couple of months and been a mainstay at WABC for many many years. His name is Norman Seabrook. Norman, good morning on this 22-year commemoration. How are you, pal? Good
1: morning, brother. How are you, my friend?
0: I'm doing okay, thanks. So uh, let's go back to that morning. This will be obligatory and lame, but the first question I ask everybody uh, this morning, you know what I was doing? I was on the air with Imus and Charles when that first plane hit, talking about the Giant Bronco game from the night before. What was Norman Seabrook doing at this time 22 years ago?
1: Uh, Twenty-two years ago, um, this morning uh, on September 11th, it was uh, primary day in New York. Peter Vallone Sr. was running for mayor of New York City. Um, People were out bustling around. By the The way, you know know how
0: we know that's true? Uh, Bernard McGurk, who ordinarily would be on the other side of the glass, it was me, Don, and Charles in studio, and Bernie would be on the other side of the glass with Lou Ruffino. Bernie was not there that day because he was on 96th Street and Broadway interviewing people on the street about the mayoral primary, and Mark Chernoff, who was in charge of WFAN, assumed Bernie's role, and he was the one who told us when the first plane hit. So uh, you're exactly right. Let's go back to what you have to say.
1: And it was was a beautiful day, and uh, correction officers... uh, as you know, a lot of unions get involved in, in politics, in uh, handing out palm cards and trying to encourage blue-collar workers to vote for the right person uh, to hold that office. And and during this time, everything just seemed so normal. And then all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. Uh, the, plane, the first plane hit the tower. Uh, and after the first plane hit the tower, a lot of people thought it was uh, just a freak accident by the pilot. But... There, there was no freak accident there, and, you know, everybody's looking up. And and fast forward, all of a sudden, the second plane hits the tower, uh, the second tower, and it just unleashed the dragon. And at this point, um, you know, I'm running, trying to get people... Uh, whereabouts or what's going on uh, in my office and, and everything else closing the office, getting people out of there getting people from Manhattan uh, out of out of Manhattan and I, I'm i sitting there and, and I'm well standing there and I'm talking to myself at this point and I'm like okay what do we do now and Bernard Carrick uh, who's a friend was uh, the police commissioner Rudy Giuliani who's a friend, mayor of the city George Pataki who I love with all my heart is the governor of the state of New York and I I pick up the phone and I call the Department of Correction Commissioner, Billy Frazier, who has since passed on since then because of ailments from 9-11. I call... uh The commissioner on the phone i said commissioner we got to do something he says well i didn't get any phone calls of what to do i said i don't give a shit who said to do what send all the buses that we have from rikers island into manhattan to get the people out of manhattan and into the bronx or into another borough send the boats that we have because we had uh, marine boats out at at rikers that patrol the area of the waters around the island at this point everybody's starting to come down and it it gets worse because, you know, as I'm walking, because you really couldn't drive around as I'm walking to to get an assessment of what's going on and getting people, especially uh, correction officers and civilians out of the area and everything else. I come upon a church on Barclay, uh Street um, and I go into the church just to say a prayer. And Father Judge is laying. He's dead now. He's deceased. Yeah, he's laying on the altar. And that was one of the most eeriest feelings I've ever had in my life and he had on his white um, uh, outfit that he wears uh, when he's you know performing different uh, services and things like that so then At this point, Sydney, you know, it's real chaos now. People are screaming, crying. There's dust. There's dirt. There's debris everywhere. I'm I'm freaking out a little bit because I can't find my wife and my mother-in-law at the time. She calls me on the phone and she says, Norman, please get Susan. Get Susan, Norman. Get Susan. I begin to cry I said mommy I'll get her she's working at 40 Wall Street at the time and I can't reach her on the phone and, and I'm searching all over the place and all of a sudden my phone rings and I said babe where are you she said I don't know where I'm at I'm on um, second on first Avenue and we're heading uptown I said stop right where you are tell me the sign I'm going to come and get you I pick her up some guy jumps in the car with me and a couple other people jump in the car and the guy says to me, he says, listen, just get me to the Bronx. I'll name my first child after you. I said, you don't have to worry about that get in the car we get in the car I race them to the Bronx because my car also had a police package in and I raced them to the Bronx I dropped them off I come back downtown and we begin to organize the correction officers um, the chief of the department was Bobby Gaffrand and you got Pete Curcio you got Reggie Palmer you got all these guys and they send the emergency services unit from Rikers downtown with the communications division the communications division begin to set up at Stuyvesant High School telephone communication because there was no communication at that time. Everything was going down. So uh, the, the, the emergency services for the police department were so busy doing everything else, we stepped in to do what we had to do there. At that point, they're working on that. And I take a whole crew up to the morgue and we go up to the morgue and we build a makeshift Uh, command post at the morgue we cut off the street nobody could come down the street except for emergency services that were bringing bodies to the morgue it was And we're there, and and Governor Pataki shows up, and he just stopped for a quick second and said, hey, thanks, guys, for what you're doing. Police commissioner called me, the mayor, and and Bernie says to me, he says, Norm, we need a command post as well. I said, well, look, my office is here. And then they figured they went someplace else. But the, the hardest thing about September 11th, what people don't understand, is that was the first time that there was first-degree murder enacted upon U.S. soil that killed thousands of people and continues to kill thousands of people because of the the dust. And, and I think it was Whitman, uh, Governor Whitman, who was working for the White House, and she said, oh, the air is safe, and all of these people are dying. We've already had... 30 members of service from the Department of Corrections passed away because of ailments from 9-11. I myself has COPD because of 9-11, and we were down there for months. Sydney, I'm sorry months we were down there and being down there and you see all of these bodies coming in and I'm not going to uh, horrifically describe some of the bodies that we saw coming in but rest assured that the people listening have to understand that we gave them and the people at the morgue gave them the utmost respect the fire department the police department correction department, civilians, people that own little candy stores that allow people to come into their store so that they could uh get away from all the smoke and debris that when the buildings collapse, these people too will be suffering one day from this. So this mass murder that these individuals uh enacted on the United States, enacted on New York City will never be forgotten and should never be forgotten. It's not like World War Two or World War One. They didn't bring that stuff home with them. This stuff is on our soil, and it is something that we should never, ever forget.
0: You know, I talked to so many people that day, and, and since, really brave people, and people that were very brave during that period, but uh, readily admitted in a in a time of confidence, we were alone, they were scared. It was the first time in their lives they were actually scared, and a lot of the fear was they didn't know what was next. They knew what happened that day. That was bad enough. That was the worst day in the history of the country, but they were deathly afraid of what can happen next. You're a pretty tough guy, Norman Seabrook, Department of Corrections, and you've seen some tough days. Were you scared back then?
1: You know, to be 100% honest with you, I, I didn't know what was next because at the end of the day... And I have my faith in God and I knew I'd I'd get through it I'd get through it but everybody else you you look at the people that were standing there with pictures of their loved ones in their hands saying did you see this person did you see that person and I got to be candid with you this is the first time that I have ever felt these emotions inside of me while talking to you about this that I've ever felt in 22 years and and I've never really talked about it because it never comes up. No one never wants to discuss it. But m- might I suggest that people need to talk to someone about these things. People need to release what's inside of them and say, hey, man, I'm pissed off at you. You screwed me, pal, and and you've got to do something about it to correct it. When you walk around New York City after this happened, after the aftermath, and you look and you say to yourself, what happened here, but you know, it's so wonderful to see all of the men and women that came together to rebuild it. It gives us pride to say, you know what, look what we can do. Look what we can do when we come together September 11th, 12th, 13th A week, two weeks Everybody was kumbaya After everything clears and everybody feels as though There's no more threats, then it's back to cutting Each other's throat. then it's back to sticking a knife In each other's back That's got to stop We've got to prepare ourselves for what's next They say in time of peace you prepare for war At the end of the day we have to be prepared For whatever comes our way Because we are New York We are the United States of America We can't allow individuals just to fly in and fly out like nothing everybody has to pay the cost when you touch one of us in New York City
0: or email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O-Law.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident. Well said, Norman. Well, thank you for coming on this morning and uh, sharing those memories of that day 22 years ago today, and we will keep talking. Uh, in fact, while I'll have you on the phone quickly. I know the Department of Corrections has not had a great couple of weeks. And last time you were here, we talked about the feds possibly getting involved, Rikers Island, all these things. What's happened since our last conversation?
1: What's happened is is that the, uh, the, federal, mon- the federal judge has given uh, both sides opportunities to um, come together, sit down, and try to figure out Uh, the best way of doing this before uh, the the, the courts make a decision on what needs to happen, but I'm hopeful that when, when the judge makes a decision, that she gives or he gives the person responsibility to make the changes that are necessary to enforce not only the law but to protect the inmates at the same time, to protect the civilians at the same time, and most importantly, to protect the correction officers at the same time. And correction officers have to understand, just like police officers, you have a job to do you're a professional do the job that you're responsible to do and stop worrying about somebody else's job land one plane at a time
0: norman as always thank you so much buddy stay well be well and uh, on this day i'm thinking about uh, you and everybody else thank you so much
1: i'm thinking about you too and your family and you know when you when you're so, when you talked about your son going to school i really hope that the education system gives these young people an opportunity to, to really know history. I was listening to you earlier and you were talking about they talk about civil rights. Yeah. Now they're talking yeah. about gay rights. Now they're talking about this right. Let's talk about what happened September eleventh, twenty two years ago, because if you think about it for a second, Sid, <clears throat> there's a child somewhere that was seven years old. Twenty two years later they're twenty nine years old. Are they suffering now? because they live down there or they went to school down there are yeah. they suffering now from an ailment that's going to continue to to kill us as we get older and I think that somebody needs to be held accountable so all of these people that's talking about no death penalty for this one no death penalty for that one what about the people and their families that are suffering day in and day out because daddy's not there anymore Because mommy's not there anymore. So God bless you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Mr. Kastamatidis, for allowing this program to take place. May God bless you. May God keep you and wrap his arms around you.
0: Norman, that's beautiful. Norman Seabrook, everybody, as you wrap up our number one on this 9-11-2023, 22 years later.